when is it we call a language is endangered i'm going to get you the freshest statistics right yes. now <laughs> yeah we want to do an audience quiz how many languages does india have no one really knows <laughs> yeah <laughs> Namaste, Johar. Good evening. Uh, so today I welcome you all for uh, Fridays with ALM live session where we get speaker every week who is someone who has inspired us with their work. And uh, today also we have this amazing guest from Endangered Languages Project. Her name is Anna Belu. So she is currently in Portland. she is uh, doing lots of work with the uh, endangered languages project this uh, project is uh, a conglomerate of uh, different institutes where people have gathered and they want to save languages from around the world which are at the brink of extinction so guys i would uh, not take much time and i would go ahead with uh, having anna with us Hey Anna, you there? Hey. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Good morning. Yes, Hi. I can. So, oh yeah, it's early morning there. So, good morning to you. Good morning. So, how are you doing, Anna? Doing good. I got my coffee, so I'm ready to talk. Okay, great, great, great. So, um, and I was telling uh, our audience about Endangered Languages Project. So, before we jump there, uh we would uh, love to know um, about your experience uh, with being a linguist and how it started with the journey of uh, going towards taking this cause as something which you would want to work towards yeah um so i like most americans grew up in a really monolingual environment it was just english 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 all the time and that's really boring yeah Uh, so I started learning French when I was a little kid, but I never really mm-hmm. went into the language world till college when I thought I wanted to teach English. So I started learning about grammar and linguistics and all that. But then I took this class that totally changed everything, like just for fun. I thought that looks cool, and it was called linguistic field methods. And mm-hmm. that's a class where linguists learn to analyze an unfamiliar language. and we were working with a guy who spoke a language called Kinande from the Democratic mm-hmm. Republic of the Congo and so i was like i was studying the words and the grammar and all that linguist stuff but we were talking one day and he started talking to me about how his language was endangered and how mm-hmm. he was really heartsick about how they the kids couldn't go to school in his language and he was worried that the elders were going to to pass on and take the language with them mm-hmm. and i had never really thought about it i had never thought about the concept of losing your language you know english mm-hmm. is in no danger like that and yeah. the more we talked the more i thought oh my god this is this is what i want to do i want to mm-hmm. support people like pierre who have dreams for their language who really have visions for their communities and and their 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 languages and cultures and so Really it was Pierre Mujamba who is a playwright mm-hmm. who speaks Kinande who got me on this path. Um thank you Pierre wherever you are now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh shout out to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay so um uh as uh, you mentioned that uh, that was the first time when 
it just opened your eyes to this whole new different reality altogether yeah. so uh, since uh, you have made uh, such a long journey like you know you're already a phd you might have uh, learned so many languages by now so i'm just curious <laughs> what all languages you have <laughs> in your <laughs> tongue right now <laughs> it's funny like okay so people ask linguists that a lot and it's kind of a joke with linguists right like what's the first thing you get asked at a party how many languages do you speak Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm I'm kind of not a great multilingual. I speak English and French and then like a little German, a little Korean, and then the language I studied for my PhD is called IASA. And I'd say yeah. I speak IASA at the level of like kind of a stupid baby. Like I'm not very good <laughs> at it. So linguistics for me it's more about getting to know people and doing the analysis than learning to mm-hmm. speak. I'm not very good at the learning to speak part, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. You okay. can do linguistics yeah. without without learning languages real fast. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure like it's the cause which really matters. Yeah. <laughs> so, um yes, moving on to another question. Since we're talking about endangered languages project and uh, the main word which comes here is endangered uh when is it uh, we call a language is endangered yeah that's a really good question and and kind of a complicated one and i know all yeah. y'all here at the live are not linguists so i'm going to explain it like like normal people words um yeah. so <laughs> so a language can face all kinds of challenges right it can be anything from like maybe the number of speakers is getting a little smaller over time maybe there are outside mm-hmm. pressures like in really serious cases maybe somebody has made it yeah. illegal to speak this language um mm-hmm. but usually it's just kind of like a slow shift where younger people speak the language less and less right maybe mm-hmm. this is familiar yeah. in in some of the audience's communities So yeah what we do to figure out when a language is endangered is we look at a bunch of different things and then we kind of group them all together and figure out overall how the language is looking. So first yeah. we look at here's the fancy term intergenerational <laughs> transmission which just means okay. like are children learning this language anymore, right? Today can you find a kid who speaks this language? Cuz you know that's the future of a language it needs people to use it so if only old people speak it we're already at a serious level of endangerment right so that's the first thing do kids learn it and then the second thing we look at is okay how many people total speak this language do we have 10 speakers do we have 10 million speakers or wait i learned i learned the indian system do we have 100 lakh speakers Uh, yeah. Yeah, I I had to learn what that word meant. <laughs> Or what's a crore? That's more, right? Anyway. Uh crore has uh, seven zeros. Oh my god. Okay. Right. So if you have a crore speakers, you're probably pretty yeah. safe. But uh <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we look at total number of speakers and, you know, mm-hmm. a small language is not necessarily endangered. You could have like, mm-hmm. I don't know, 300 speakers in your community, but if you've yeah. always had 300 speakers, that's fine. You could go on forever yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So, but also like small communities are just more vulnerable. We all know this. Mm-hmm. So, big yeah. big speaker numbers keep a language safer in general. And mm-hmm. then we also look at whether that number is changing super fast, right? So, mm-hmm. if you have 300 speakers but there's always been 300 speakers, fine. But if you have yep. 300 now, but a decade ago mm-hmm. there were like 2000 speakers, 
It's a serious problem. And the last thing we look at is what parts of life is this language used in, right? Like, can you、mm-hmm. go to the store and speak this language? Can you write it on a government application form? Can you, you know, make a joke with your friends in this language? Or is it like really just specific parts of your life, like ceremony or、mm-hmm. maybe reading old books or what? So we look、yeah. at all that stuff and then we do some math about it. But basically,、mm-hmm. if the math comes back on any of those factors that there's a problem,、mm-hmm. you're looking、yeah. at some level of language endangerment. It's, it's complicated, but it's really similar stuff all over the world. Yeah, I think、uh, it's much easier if、uh, we see the number of population who have been there, who have been speaking, and then、uh, now what's the status. So I think that's a clear comparison, and it's clear to know from, from that fact, like, Uh, if it's it's reducing or if it'll be gone. So,、uh, how is it uh, uh, that people like、uh, we read so many reports about so and so language would be、uh, extinct by five years down the line or ten years down the line? So, how is that prediction made? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always see those stories and I'm like,、mm, I don't know, right? Because we can't predict the future. You that kind、yeah. of like doom talk. Is sometimes、yeah. not helpful, right? Like, imagine if somebody was saying that about your language. Like, hey, in five years,、mm-hmm. your language will be dead. That would be so、yeah. discouraging, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. might not do the work to try and keep your language strong、mm-hmm. if you're like, what's the point?、Yeah. It's just gonna die, right? <laughs> yeah. So those predictions sometimes it's like averages based on how fast the speaker numbers have been going down in the past. So like,、mm-hmm. okay, we have lost eighty percent of speakers since I don't know two thousand. So obviously we'll lose them all next year. But yeah, we just don't know. If you ever see stories、mm-hmm. like that, take it with a grain of salt. Just okay, great. <laughs> okay, so not to believe in those predictions yeah. as much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, I was going through、uh, ELP's the website, and there、uh, the mention of、uh, how forty percent of the languages in the world—that is, seven thousand languages—are at the brink of extinction.、Uh, how has been the distribution like、uh, with this number, especially seven thousand languages? So, which continent or which countries have the more number of languages with extinction? And、uh, how is it like? And how is、uh, ELP working towards it, especially?、Uh, As uh, ELP uh, has so many members from all across the world, how are their efforts going into it? Ooh, that's a big question. <laughs> okay, <laughs> take it like part by part. So, yeah, yeah. Like, global global setup of endangered languages. That's a really、mm-hmm. really good question. So、yeah. when we look at patterns around the world, we see two two obvious things. One. The highest rates of language endangerment are definitely, definitely, definitely North America and Australia, and、mm-hmm. I think we can all kind of guess why that is, and probably、mm-hmm. guess correctly, right? Because Europeans came and settled there, and really seriously either killed or repressed、mm-hmm. all of the languages、yeah. and cultures that existed there, right? That's Mm-hmm. We can't argue about that. That's really clear. That's what causes such high rates of language loss in those places. So, yeah, that's unarguable. But we also、mm-hmm. see a lot of endangered languages and a lot of languages total,、mm-hmm. like 
10 degrees from the equator. So like right around mm -hmm. the center of the world map, you see all yeah. these languages and a lot of them are endangered. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Actually, we don't have a great explanation for that yet. It's, it's one of those things that kind of confuses linguists. Like, I guess mm -hmm. that's a nice place to live. So there are more diverse populations. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We're still trying yeah. to figure that out. Mm -hmm. but, and then places like India, you have huge diversity, so many languages, yeah. tons and tons of languages. But yeah. language endangerment isn't yet as serious as in places like Australia or North America, which is great news. Yeah. There's still yeah, a lot wow. of time to, to keep yeah. India's languages strong, which yay. Totally. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Like there are, there are obviously some languages that are really in a critical state in India, like mm -hmm. yeah. especially down in the Andaman Islands and especially like really mm -hmm. small groups. But yeah. we also have like big, really strong Adivasi languages like Ho or Gondi mm -hmm. or, you know, tons of languages that have kids speaking them and millions of people. And that's a really hopeful place for language revitalization yeah. for me. I think India has a lot of yeah. potential for really strong, diverse languages in the future. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, I think it's uh, the credit goes to uh, this huge population which India has. So, yeah, uh, let's say even in my community, uh, how I could see that the population isn't lax. Uh, it's not so critical when it comes to its disappearance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean that doesn't mean that doesn't mean India's languages are totally safe either, right? There are definitely yeah. challenges yeah. Yeah. and. Actually, I mm -hmm. really want to hear from the viewers at the end about the status yeah. of their own languages. Like, what is going on with your language and your community? But we can finish the interview first. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, so meanwhile, uh, I can ask our audiences to uh, drop their experiences with how they're doing with their indigenous languages or any languages, be it. So, yeah, we would hear it out in the end of this interview. Yeah. Okay, but I yeah. think there was another part to your question that I still have to answer. What is ELP doing? Yeah. So that's a great question. So I'm going to give a little bit of background on ELP. So we're like a mm -hmm. collaboration between university linguists and mm -hmm. indigenous people's organizations. And you probably know that sometimes like universities and community groups, they kind of do things differently. Right? Mm -hmm. Linguists are like, oh, we're going to go collect the data and do an analysis and write a paper. Yeah. And community groups are like, no, we, we have to learn the language. We have to record our speakers. This is really urgent. And so yeah. ELP was sort of a project meant to bring together these groups so we can work together mm -hmm. better to support the world's languages. Even if we do things yeah. a little differently, we have the same mm -hmm. goals, which is yeah. supporting indigenous languages. So, yeah, so what we do is we try and provide information first off, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. you can't really, let's say, you can't treat a sickness before you have a diagnosis. And you can't mm -hmm. really start working for your language until you know what's going on with your language, right? Mm -hmm. One, of, one yeah. of our founders, Dr. Lorna Williams, likes to say, we can't know where we're going until we know where we are. And so, mm -hmm. That's one of our roles is to provide like really good information about each language. So if you go to the mm -hmm. ELP website and you search for your language, either you won't find it because it's not endangered, which is great news. That's, yeah. that's good news <laughs> if you don't find your language. But if you do, yeah. 
Hopefully you'll find like a pretty accurate number of speakers and some descriptions about like the challenges your language may be facing. And you can take that、yeah. information and like make a plan, make a plan for how、mm-hmm. to work for your language. So that's one thing we、yeah. do is like information, knowledge is power. And、mm-hmm. the other, one of the other things we do is like awareness、um, and, and outreach to the public about the issue of language endangerment, right? Because we need, we need allies. It can't only be. Obviously, the most important group in language work is the speakers themselves and the community that speaks、mm-hmm. the language. Like, they are、yeah. the key people for language work. But it really helps to have allies from the mainstream who get it, who understand the issue and are on your side. So, ELP also to raise awareness among just like everybody of the issue of language endangerment. Why indigenous languages are really important and what they can do to help. So that's another thing we do.、Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I also I will tell you a sneak preview of something coming、mm-hmm. up that we're working on.、Um, so we also run training. So we do free training in、uh, language documentation. And this is just a way to say, like, making records of your language to keep it safe and help desk. Which is like a, a learning platform to help people get the information and the guidance they need, right? So,、yeah. imagine, you know, you speak, take any random language. Like, I speak Kihunde from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and I've noticed、yeah. that my language is, is in trouble. What do I do, right? I think a lot of people、yeah. are in that position. Like, they notice something is wrong, but they have no idea where to start. And so the goal of this help desk is you can come to the ELP site, you can like do a quiz to figure out what state your language is in, kind of do a self assessment of what's happening in your language community,、mm-hmm. and then、yep. you can find resources and, and advice that is tailored to your situation, right? So maybe you have, I don't know, 300 speakers, they're all elders, you want to know what to do. We will、mm-hmm. provide you with information on how to do what we call like a mentor apprentice language learning program.、Mm-hmm. And not only that, if you still have questions, you still are lost, you're like, ah, this is so confusing, what do I do? Then you can also talk to an ELP expert in language revitalization for personal、mm-hmm. help. And I think that's, that's what a lot of people contact us asking for, right? They're like,、mm-hmm. okay, this is all very overwhelming. Where do I start? There's so much to read. And what they、yeah. really want is a person to, to talk with and to, to process、mm-hmm. with. And so, yeah. yeah, that's one of the things that we're going to provide is like that personal interaction to help people、mm-hmm. work for their languages. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, yeah, yeah. So, like, When you say, how is ELP helping to save languages? I just want to be really clear that our goal is to support language communities, but、yeah. we can't ever be the ones to save someone else's language, right?、Mm-hmm. It is always、yeah. 100% in the power of that language community to save their own、yeah. language, right? Like,、mm-hmm. they are the only ones who have either the right or the ability.、Mm-hmm. To, to keep their own language strong. And so, our role is to provide support and help and knowledge and whatever、mm-hmm. people need, but we're not the ones saving a language ever. <laughs> we're, just,、mm-hmm. we're just there to help. Okay, awesome.、Uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to know like,、uh, 
how many languages from India have made it onto the website of ELP? That's a good question. I think off the top of yeah. my head, I want to say like 250, but I'm going to look right now. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see if the audience, we want to do an audience quiz. How many languages does India have? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so Anna is asking <laughs> how many languages does India have? So, you know, if anybody can answer, <laughs> you would give a shout out over here. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. as far as endangered languages total, we are currently at 201, which is Ooh, okay. a lot. <laughs> It's a lot. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. And so that doesn't mean all of those languages are in a critical mm-hmm. state. That doesn't mean yeah. they're all like doomed in five years, like those articles say. Yeah. So, <laughs> it just means that those <laughs> languages are facing some kind of challenges to mm-hmm. their, their health in the world. So... It's it's 200 languages to be concerned about but also yeah. to be hopeful for and to fight for. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, I'll ask you more questions on that but before we lose the questions which our audiences have asked <laughs> let's let's cater to them. Yeah. So okay, uh there's one question um is it correct to say that language is going extinct is that a correct term? love this question i love this question that's a really really good thing to ask so linguists tend to avoid the term extinct for a couple of reasons mm-hmm. one when something like when a living thing dies it's dead right you can't bring it back you can't make a frankenstein but when a language stops being spoken you actually mm-hmm. can bring it back. It's not like yeah. extinction like a dinosaur. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. So we tend to use the term either sleeping or dormant, which means basically mm-hmm. the same thing. Because it's not it's not yeah. dead, right? You can still wake it up. You can still make mm-hmm. new speakers. And so yeah. we actually in the past a lot of people did say an extinct language and maybe if you're talking about like something from 3000 years ago where we have no records yeah you can say extinct mm-hmm. because there's just no way to bring it back but yes in a lot of cases we do have languages that stopped being spoken but now they are awake again so like there's a language uh in America called Wampanoag and mm-hmm. it was a native american language of like around boston if anybody knows where that is in the northeast and uh it stopped being spoken a couple hundred years ago mm-hmm. but there was a woman from the wampanoag tribe called Jessie Little Doe Baird and mm-hmm. probably 20 years ago she had this dream where her ancestors were talking to her and she couldn't understand them and she mm-hmm. knew there was something wrong with that right and yeah from that she knew that it was her role now to bring back the wampanoag language and so she mm-hmm. went to MIT she got a linguistics yeah. degree and she found all of the old documents in wampanoag from hundreds of years ago mm-hmm. right and wow. now there are kids speaking wampanoag again after hundreds of years the language woke up again And mm-hmm. so it's stories like that that show us it really is possible and there's this huge Wampanoag language program now. So even if a language falls asleep, right? Even if mm-hmm. there aren't any more speakers for a time, it's not too yeah. late. If you have records, you can wake it back up. 
So this was uh, Ankush who had asked this question. <laughs> oh, good question, Ankush. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, guys, I encourage you to ask many more questions to Anna. So, okay, yeah. So people have given the figures. Uh, 121 languages plus 270 MTL according to the last census, and also Ankush has mentioned uh, the 1961 census counted 1,652 Indian languages. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I love the the range of answers here because kind of they're all right. <laughs> they're all correct yeah. in a way. <laughs> okay. Is this like yeah. this question of like? What is a what is a language versus what is what they call a dialect, right? This mm-hmm. is a question that's yeah. really really hard to resolve. And so like Oh, yeah. I'm sure you know there are languages that are really close, right? Like maybe they're not the same language, but if somebody speaks mm-hmm. it, it's close enough that you understand. And so like mm-hmm. depending on where you draw that line between like it's like if you called trying to think of an indian example that might make sense i'm just thinking like swedish and norwegian or yeah swedish and norwegian yeah. are really close but we call them languages mm-hmm. right but yeah yeah really they're kind of the same language there was a linguist mm-hmm. who said one time a language is just a dialect with an army and a navy which is like <laughs> okay kind of true right yeah so, yeah so like Depending on what you call a language versus a dialect, mm-hmm. India could have like yeah. 500 languages. It could have 5,000 languages. So it depends on where you draw those lines. Yeah. <laughs> so Odisha also has these dialects from uh, different regions. So southern part of Odisha is slightly different, and it's and there are times it's also mixed with the indigenous language of that region. So it's really difficult to draw that line. Yeah, yeah, it's more yeah. like it's like a spectrum, not a line usually. Yeah, right? yeah. What's your totally. language, by the way? Or I should say, what are your uh, languages? So my uh, uh, my mother tongue is uh, Khadia, uh, which is again uh, one of the languages which I get from my mother, which is uh, Munda and Urao. So these three are <laughs> my mother tongue languages, I would say. And uh, apart from that, uh, I have learned. Korea, Hindi and English. Yeah. Holy cow, amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yes. Indian multilingualism is like so cool and so impressive. I'm really jealous. Yeah. <laughs> This is what I get from uh, many of my friends from US. This is what they say that oh, there's so much of diversity in languages. So Yeah. It's true. yeah. <laughs> like I work in Cameroon, which is a country in Central Africa, yeah. and people there are also really really multilingual, right? They might have their mother tongue yeah. and like their father tongue and five other languages. And so sometimes yeah. people ask me like, "Okay, what languages do you speak?" And I'm like, "English and French." And I stop and they look at me like they feel bad for me. They're like, "Are are you a little stupid just to like <laughs> yeah so uh since uh, we were talking about learning languages this question just popped into my head uh, about uh, how uh, people pick up uh, learning languages so uh, when they're taught from childhood they are like pretty fluent by the time they grow up how has your uh, analysis been on this so like you know why why does it get difficult to learn a particular language when a person grows up That's a really good question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the the short answer is okay, we know that's true and we don't know quite why that's true. Like, yeah. There are these competing ideas within in linguistics mm-hmm. that like there's something in your brain that just stops mm-hmm. learning language as well when you're like 5 or 7. 
And then some people just think, okay, children learn faster, period, right? Whether it's language, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, new skills, kids just learn faster. So either way, we know that when you're either like five or seven or nine, somewhere in there, it gets way Mm -hmm. harder to learn a language like perfectly, right? You're always, you're probably (laughs) always going to have a little bit of an accent if you learn when you're older or maybe, you know, it'll just go slower. So Mm -hmm. we're not sure why. There are a lot of, there are a lot of theories about like socializing within your group when we were cavemen or something, but no one really knows. (laughs) Okay. So this is something which has not been figured out then. (laughs) Yeah. Come, come do a linguistics degree and help us solve the mystery. I'm sure the people who are here who are already doing linguistics degree because uh, there's Megha who's asking, uh, is this called a critical period hypothesis? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, wow. We have some Very amazing nice. audiences yeah, here. Seriously. I think you should do the Great. next guest lecture, Megar. Okay, so I was checking for uh, questions. We have Nidhi who's who's saying I do have a question. Yeah, Nidhi, please go ahead and uh, we're waiting for your questions to come in. So, uh, meanwhile, I'll I'll ask you my question. Uh, what have you found uh, during all these years of your study and experience uh, about uh, language endangerment to uh, uh, indigenous languages versus non-indigenous languages and uh, uh, how has this difference been like? That's a, That's a really good question. All right, so yeah. the first thing is we have to define indigenous. And that's really hard. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've had conversations with people in India where they're like, well, mm-hmm. all Indians are indigenous, right? Because yeah. we didn't come from somewhere else. And that's not necessarily what we mean when we say indigenous most of the time. You yeah. have places like North America or Australia where the, the divide is super clear. Either you were there mm-hmm. before the Europeans came or you came yeah. after the Europeans came, right? It's pretty clear mm-hmm. what's what's indigenous yeah. versus not. But then mm-hmm. you have places like, okay, so where I work in Cameroon, it's really hard to say what's indigenous because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people, there's a lot of migration. Like the language I work with is called Iasa and they, they speak it on the coast and mm-hmm. No one's really sure when the Iasa people got to the coast. Maybe it was mm-hmm. 600 years ago, maybe it was a thousand years ago, but there were people there before them. And then the Europeans came and colonized Cameroon. And so mm-hmm. to the Europeans, the Iasa were indigenous, but to like the people who were there before the Iasa, they're the indigenous ones. And so it's, it's yes. really more about layers. Anyway, that's a really mm-hmm. complicated answer to say, first, what is indigenous? <laughs> How do we define yeah. that? But I will say that in cases like where it's really clear, like what we call settlement colonialism, um, mm-hmm. the endangerment is clearly different because there's been more direct effort to suppress mm-hmm. those languages, right? Like yeah. in Cameroon, there was never the government trying as hard as possible to mm-hmm. make people stop speaking those languages. Yeah. In, in North America and Australia, the government spent tons of money to eliminate mm-hmm. languages. And so I yeah. think like the degree of top-down 
state oppression is one really big difference mm-hmm. when you look at indigenous versus non-indigenous languages. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a heavy yeah. answer, but it's true. Yeah. I don't know if how much I'll be correct to compare it, but uh, there was this one question uh, which uh, I had prepared for you uh, about uh, do uh, languages also have categories like endangered languages, vulnerable languages, endemic languages. Uh, I could see the, uh, I mean, with the languages and also the wildlife extinction, it's uh, wildlife endangerment, I would say. Like, as you said, you know, extinction is not really the word. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I could see this uh, uh, similarity of how uh, with the languages also the wildlife is kind of endangered. Yeah, so this is something uh, I had a thought when I was talking to you and uh, I was also doing some of the preparation for this interview. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's really insightful and you are totally correct. Like, just like wildlife, we have different levels of endangerment. So, Mm -hmm. like, in the red zone, the critical endangerment. Yes. That's cases where maybe you have, like, five or ten elders who still speak mm-hmm. and that's like yeah. the very most emergency situation mm-hmm. but yeah. I think actually most endangered languages if you look at the data most of them are kind of in the middle in that threatened mm-hmm. area so like the, yeah. the yellow zone like if we're thinking about like mm-hmm. red light green light yellow light they're kind of in the yeah. middle where mm-hmm. there, there are definitely risks but there's also a there's time to step in Mm -hmm. and make those languages stronger. Um, Yeah. yeah. And then there's languages that are just like a little bit endangered, a tiny, a smidge Mm -hmm. of endangerment, right? In like the green zone. And we have those too. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I think most of the world's endangered languages are actually kind of in the middle. So they're not yet at Mm -hmm. that critical level. Thank goodness. Let's let's work to keep them from going to that critical level. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would like to know uh, how many uh, languages are there which are there in the red zone and uh, any of the languages uh, from India. Yeah. So yes, there are. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you the freshest statistics right yes. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the critical category, it's really quite a lot. If we put together severely and critically endangered. Mm-hmm. That's about yeah. 800 languages around the world, which is Ooh. pretty serious. That's more than yeah. 10% yeah. of all the world's languages. Yeah. So, yeah, that's difficult news, but it's true. But if we look mm-hmm. at just India, and actually, just so you know, you all can do these searches too on the ELP website. Yeah. All right. But in India, luckily, there are mm-hmm. only currently nine languages that are in that severe category. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. India, like India and a lot of parts of Africa actually have similar Mm -hmm. patterns of language endangerment. Like there's high diversity and kind of like medium endangerment for a lot of the same Mm -hmm. reasons. And so like a lot of India's languages are kind of in that middle threatened area, Mm -hmm. which is good news. It means there's time to work for them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, this also gives me a direction that, uh, uh, we could definitely uh, bring these languages out on our platform and uh, spread some awareness. Mm-hmm. So thanks to Endangered Languages Project that we are, will be able to have our hands on this data and of course we'll be able to tell people about it. Yeah. Actually, can you okay, teach Anna's, me a phrase? Yeah. 
I always oh, yeah, like, please, please. Yeah, yeah. Like when I was when I was at the the grand cultural gathering, I learned Jai yeah. Adivasi, and that's that's easy enough. Yeah. But how do I say like victory to the languages? Victory to the languages. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, again, like, uh, is there any specific language you want me to tell you? Like all the languages. Yeah. So there, there was this conference that we had last mm-hmm. summer. I don't know if you can see. Yeah. It's called Halisa Tesoil, yeah. which in um, oh gosh, mm-hmm. I think it's in Shuswap. It means let the languages live. Yeah. And so, how would I say that? Is is there a way to say like victory to all the languages, or maybe not? Uh, well, it's a difficult, it's a okay. difficult one because yeah. uh, uh, as you know, like when it comes to languages, uh, people say like you know, there's a very popular quote. I don't remember who has, who has said it. So it's about. Uh, Learning a language is having a diff- having a new soul. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I'm kind of trying to uh, get the right word for it. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, it. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll think about it and I'll I'll give you the correct phrase for this. Cool, thank you. Yeah, the correct translation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so Anna, since we don't have much time and we have some questions which has popped up for you, yeah, let me address you those questions. Okay, so we have uh, Ankush who has asked us asked us a question, like a couple of questions. But uh, then there's Megha who has asked. I'll go in a serial order. Uh, okay, so Megha's question is: uh, Is there anything that we can do as to keep the language at the verge of getting endangered alive? Uh, linguists do try to study them, but is there any way where we can actually keep it alive? That's a great question. So I guess it depends on whether it's your language or not. First off, if mm-hmm. it's a language of your community or somebody else, and if it's yeah. your own community, I think the most important thing you can do is learn it and speak it, but also talk to other people in your community about the importance mm-hmm. of your language, because probably they might not have given yeah. very much thought to. The language and the possibility that it could become endangered. So, spreading that awareness is a really important first step. Just get people thinking about it. Make them make them talk a little bit about why they appreciate their language, why it's important to them, and what they don't want to lose. That's that's a good first step. Um, the other thing yeah. that you can do is one of the things that that really makes language endangerment worse is negative mm-hmm. attitudes. From especially from mm. the oh it's it's primitive or it doesn't have words yeah. for email or you know like stupid stuff like yeah. that that's just incorrect right <laughs> I want to say that kind of talk yeah. is it's, it's not correct I am a linguist I'm yeah. telling you it's wrong but <laughs> but when you okay hear we'll that flag that talk, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you hear that kind of talk call it out step up and yeah. say actually. All languages mm-hmm. are valid. All languages have unique knowledge. My language is special, yeah. and I am not ashamed mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, that's a really important step to take. Okay, great. I'll quickly move on to another question, uh, which is by Nidhi. So she says, "I'm from Deoghar, Jharkhand. I'm pursuing law and has been uh, has been many exchange programs to USA. My question is, who gets to decide the importance of language?" For example, English or UN languages. Hmm. Yeah, such a good question. 
So when we talk about importance, yeah, we do have to say important to who? Important for what, right? Because as a linguist, and I think probably most people here who are in tune with indigenous issues, we know that no language is is inherently more important than another one. Every mm-hmm. single language, every culture is important. But yes, totally. when it comes to like, what can you use on television? What can you use at the UN? Really the question is like power and money. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. know how I said earlier, a language is a dialect yeah. with an army and a navy? Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty much it. Which languages speakers have the power and the money? And mm-hmm. right now, English holds a lot of power and money. Yeah. Uh, languages like Hindi and Mandarin and Arabic and Spanish mm-hmm. hold a lot of power and money. And so people yeah. tend to be attracted to the languages where the mm-hmm. power and money are. Um, yeah. So it's really, it's not like there's some council making decisions mm-hmm. about which languages are best. It's just kind of mm-hmm. like the random forces of wealth and political power. Okay, great. Uh, so moving on to the next question. I'm, I'm sorry, Anna, I'm just doing this rapid fire because oh, no problem. people have been enjoying our talk so much that they have come up with so many questions which I don't know, like, I, I would like to address most of the questions. Let's go. So, uh, okay, what, uh, so this is from Ankush. Uh, what can we say uh, to some people's views who say it's good to have a dozen languages instead of all these thousands of languages? Yeah, that's a great question. That's an argument people do make, right? They're like, oh, we don't yeah. need all these languages. To mm-hmm. that, I will give a couple of examples. So if we lose languages, not only is that a huge loss to the community who speaks the language, right? For their identity, for their culture, mm-hmm. even for their physical health, Right? There, there yeah. are studies from Canada where like indigenous communities who keep their languages have lower suicide rates. So language mm-hmm. literally can save your life. That's one reason it's important wow. to hold on to your yeah. language. But yeah. also, each and every language contains unique knowledge. And so if we just have 12 languages, we are mm-hmm. stuck with only the knowledge contained in those 12 languages. Mm-hmm. And we lose yeah. all kinds of ecological knowledge, we lose all kinds of culture, we lose all kinds of human genius, right? Mm-hmm. And so really, why would you say, let's get rid of part of our wealth, right? The world's wealth partly yeah. is languages. And it's like it's yeah. like people saying, let's just throw away a gigantic load of fresh fruit because we have some other mm-hmm. fruit. Like, no, why would you do that? That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so moving on to the next question is, uh, India is pushing a one nation, one language policy. How and why is that scary? Ha. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> <sighs> we have a fancy term for that. We call it linguistic essentialism. This idea that mm. this yeah. that there's one nation, one people, one language, this unity mm-hmm. thing. So that's yeah. scary because A, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. create unity if everybody speaks the same language. Like you look yeah. at some of the worst wars in history, the American Civil War, everyone spoke English. Or like mm-hmm. the Rwanda genocide, everybody spoke Kenya Rwanda. It didn't mm-hmm. produce unity. And then you have countries that are super multilingual, like Botswana or like Belgium, and they're very Mm. peaceful and they have quite a lot of national unity. And so this idea that a nation and a language have to go together for unity is is not true. Mm. It's just not true. 
Um, and I think it's yeah. scary because this one nation, one language thing is just an excuse to suppress smaller languages and indigenous mm-hmm. communities. It's a mm-hmm. way of saying, True. if you want to be a real Indian, you'd better speak Hindi. It's just mm. it's forced assimilation. And yeah. that's scary because when the state starts telling you who you can be and how you can express yourself and what culture you're allowed to have, ah, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a very uh, North Korean <laughs> attitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so uh, I hope I've addressed most of the questions. Uh, and also, we've come to an end of this session. I'm sure like there's so much to talk, but then again, like we have a time restriction. Yeah. But uh, yes, we'll have you again, Anna. The last question which I would like to ask you is, uh what would you like to tell our audiences about the languages and is there any suggestion you want to give them yeah gosh i think the most important thing to say is just be proud yeah. of your languages and hold on to them um celebrate yeah. the linguistic diversity around you and in your community and in your family and maybe in yourself like hold on to all your languages love them and and appreciate them i think that's that's really my yeah. message is think of the poor people like me who just have one or two languages <laughs> and uh, really <laughs> hold tight yeah. to your languages and don't give up hope okay great yeah yes uh, that story uh, which you said about uh, how uh, this indigenous language from boston just came into life after 10 years so yeah that's that's such a great takeaway for us yeah never too <laughs> thank late. you so much anna thank you so much yes. for having me it was a pleasure And if anybody wants same your questions um get in touch with me it's anna at endangerednlanguages.com yes uh, apart from that uh, uh, anna is uh, directly reachable uh, through social mediums and of course people uh, directly go to elp and uh, check out the website and since we saw some uh, enthusiasts who were so interested uh, in knowing so there you have they are way to go so yes Uh, I'll see you soon Anna thank you so much thank you so much for having me thanks everyone yeah. for bye. coming bye bye <laughs> okay so guys uh, we've come to the end of this session and uh, uh, after looking at so many comments and questions uh, it was lovely to have all of you present today so we will come back next Friday with a- another guest and uh, let us know how did you like it and uh, you can always DM us you would always write to us मैं धन्यवाद करना चाहती हूँ जोशुआ फर्नांडिस को जिन्होंने अपना म्यूजिक पैसे छापते कोण झाडे आमची कापते कोणी जंगलात मेट्रो मारते कोण झाले हाय जगणे दुःख हे पिंद्राचा घालता जनावर मुखे